1: Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
0: At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.
3: Loaded show for you, Sean Merriman, Joel Klatt, we're breaking down all six NFL games, I'm still in disbelief that Mike Vrabel punted on fourth and two from the Ravens, 40 down four late in that game, had an amazing time on the sunny side of the stadium with my 10 year old, Uh, we'll talk about those games, all the NFL action on Saturday and Sunday, also getting you ready for the Alabama-Ohio State game, which is later tonight. Joel Klatt swings by the lead Fox College football analyst to break down that game for us. All of that coming your direction. Plus, encourage you to go give us some five-star reviews. If you give us a five-star review and Danny G reads it, boom, he will have you in the five-star review club. You'll absolutely love it. All you have to do, To make sure you subscribe and give us the five-star review as jump right into those iTunes rankings, Spotify rankings, everywhere you go. Appreciate all of you. The podcast begins now. Outkick the coverage with Clay Travis live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR.
1: Now, let's get this party
3: started. You're listening
0: to Fox Sports Radio.
3: It was pretty phenomenal to have three games on Saturday, three games on Sunday, be able to sit back and watch it all unspool. And there are a lot of big storylines, and we're going to be breaking them down for you all throughout the show today. Uh, we got Sean Merriman scheduled to join us. uh, Lights out himself in the second hour, as he has been on Monday for a while. Third hour of the show, Joel Klatt's going to join us because as if you hadn't had enough football to enjoy, we've got another incredible game going on tonight with Alabama against Ohio State to win the national championship. But to me, I told you on Friday, the two guys with the most at stake on wildcard weekend were Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. Two guys that I knew and that you knew needed to get their first wins and they did. But that wasn't it. The Browns also had a coming out party. It was 28 to nothing at the end of the first quarter in Pittsburgh and I think all of you out there could not believe what you were seeing In terms of the performance that they were putting on the field, I know there's a lot of Steeler fans right now that are still shell-shocked from that first quarter. Honestly, it looked a lot like the first half that the Browns put together against the Titans just a few weeks ago. And then the Browns managed to put things together, hold on, and the end result was of your Saturday-Sunday games. Remember three years ago, we had five quarterbacks go in the first round of the NFL draft. We had Baker Mayfield go number one overall, Sam Darnold, and then we had had Josh Allen, who everybody was not sold on at all, and then we had Lamar Jackson at the end of the first round, and Josh Rosen, who's already moved on from a bunch of different teams, he's done. But the debates about who's the right guy, are they going to be able to win, what's this going to look like for them, And then boom, all three of them win their first ever playoff game in the same weekend. Winning that first playoff game is hard to do. Proving that not only you can get to the playoffs, but you can win once you get there is such an incredibly challenging uh, goal to even get to. And what's interesting, before I get to Baker Mayfield and what the Browns did, what's interesting to me is the two guys that were considered to be the biggest risks in the first round are the two guys that now look like they're going to be the best. Not to take anything away from Baker Mayfield, but Josh Allen was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL this year. I think the overall third best quarterback in the NFL. And Lamar Jackson's already won an MVP. But the the criticism out there, of both Lamar Jackson and of Josh Allen and of every young quarterback is, can they do it when they get to the postseason? may not be fair, but that's how we judge our quarterbacks in the NFL. Eventually, if they win some playoff games, it's can they win the Super Bowl? Ask Peyton Manning about that. But until they win that first playoff game, the question that gets asked, fair or foul, is are they going to be able to take the next step? And in one fell swoop, all three of these guys took the next step. And in that draft class from just three years ago, they are going to represent almost half of the eight teams that are playing on Saturday and Sunday going forward. And the biggest winner by far is Lamar Jackson. He is. Second biggest winner, Josh Allen. But the guy that has probably got a city on his shoulders the likes of which has not happened in the NFL in a long time, is Baker Mayfield. Because not only did the Browns vanquish their long playoff drought this year, but they went on the road and they beat the horrible rival Pittsburgh Steelers that they never, ever beat. And they did it in a mostly dominating fashion. I know there were a few moments there in the third quarter where a lot of Browns fans started to get nervous. And let's be honest, Browns fans were nervous throughout the entirety of this game because they've been there so few times. Their head coach wasn't on the sideline. I mean, by the way, Kevin Stefanski, I mean, can you imagine him watching this game at home or wherever they had him? Like, I would have paid to be able to watch him on camera as the Browns were scoring and dominating like they were. And... Now you start to look forward and think if you're a Browns fan, well, man, we're really playing with house money right now. Because I think your average Browns fan, if they were being honest, especially given how weak they looked last week against the Steelers, did not anticipate that they were ever going to be able to go into Pittsburgh and win this game. And now you look back and you're like, okay, well, we're going on the road against Kansas City. What do we care? What fear do we have here? We've got nothing to lose. Yeah, we're going to be over a touchdown underdog, but Kansas City's probably the best team left in the entirety of the NFL. It's not that big of a threat to us. We're not too concerned about it. And then, if you are a Ravens fan, this is Lamar Jackson's opportunity going head to head with Josh Allen, a team in in uh, Buffalo that hasn't won a lot. It's not as if there is uh there is this you know sort of. Uh, same kind of aura surrounding anybody in the AFC outside of Kansas City, which has proven they can win at an extremely high level as well. So I just, I thought it was an incredible, incredible storyline. And if you follow it, what's also interesting about this is all these young gunslingers are in the AFC, right? And so the AFC has got all these young guys and then the NFC tossed Jared Goff out because I don't think he's in the same category. But the NFC has got all the old gunslingers. Your Aaron Rodgers, your Drew Brees, your Tom Brady's. And then the AFC's the young gunners, and we're going to see exactly how they end up shaking out. But my goodness, I mean, it is just so much fun to watch all these different games. And and by the way, one of the best storylines of the entire weekend ended up being. Uh, Taylor Heineke, who I don't think, and I'm not even sure that I said his name 100% right, but I don't think anybody even knew who this dude was. And then he's out there dueling against Tom Brady, and you had Chase Young running up and reading the jersey name on the back. I mean, it was just, there was so much drama with all six of these games going on. And I think the NFL is going to sit back and they're going to say, oh, we're never going back to a shortened wild card. In fact, a part of me wonders whether the NFL is going to say, hey, you know what, let's go ahead and expand the postseason even more. Maybe they won't, but go ahead and add two more teams. Gets more challenging to fit all those games in because this is kind of an ideal television window right now, starting at 1 Eastern and going all the way through. And by the way, let me don't forget to say this too. It's a home run weekend for the NFL. Anybody else watch the Nickelodeon broadcast? Do you have kids like I do? If you did, flipping it on and every time they scored a touchdown, seeing the slime come out and seeing the game called for kids, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was a really, really great idea. And I've got a six-year-old who's not really a big NFL fan. He's young. My 10-year-old and my 12-year-old, you know, they wake up, they're sports-obsessed. My 6-year-old, we'll see how much he likes sports. He's just, he's young. He's a kindergartner. But he was, like, really intrigued by the slime on the field and by all the different colors and the SpongeBob and everything else associated with it and thought it was pretty cool. And I got to say, I mean, I thought it was pretty cool, too. Uh, and, uh, And so when we come back, by the way, I'm going to rank... The six winning teams, all right? Uh, but I want to say, again, to me, the big takeaway, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, I was at that Ravens-Titans game. The Lamar Jackson scramble changed that game. I mean, I I really 100% think the Lamar Jackson 48-yard scramble touchdown, if the Titans get a stop there, I think they probably win the game. Now, I'm going to talk later about Mike Vrabel and, and also Mike Tomlin, the decisions they were making of when to punt and everything else, like I don't understand how you can go work a hundred hours or whatever the heck it is to be in a position to get a game plan ready and then be that bad at actually managing decision making. Right? I just I I legitimately do not understand how you could punt when you're Mike Vrabel fourth and two from the 40, I don't understand how that decision's made. Mike Tomlin, fourth and one, down 12. You punt, and then the Browns come back down and score, and effectively that game's over. I just don't understand how you allow yourself to make that decision because your entire goal as a head coach is to find every possible tiny, minute angle to help your team, and then you make decisions like those that don't make Any sense at all I I just frankly don't understand it I really really don't and so as you break down everything in that world I I think it's really uh intriguing the way that shook out but to me the Lamar Jackson play it's third and nine there's nobody open and he makes a play that probably nobody else in the league can ties the game up at 10 and he changed the game right then and there because I think if the Ravens punt there Titans are in good shape, probably go into the half with the lead, and who knows what happens from there. But I thought that changed the game uh, for I thought it was the single most important play that anybody made uh, in any of these games in terms of uh, putting their team in position to win. So Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, year three in the NFL. They're now going to represent three-fourths of the teams that are in the AFC playoffs. Uh, we will break down for you in the next segment Browns, Rams, Uh, all the different games that went on that we haven't talked about, Uh, a lot of different, I almost started to read my rankings there of which teams I thought were the most impressive. Uh, I will tell you about it. We'll break it down for you. This is Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis. just talking about how wild it is that Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, the young guns in the AFC, three of the four teams all have young quarterbacks. And then, of course, they're chasing Patrick Mahomes, who is the defending Super Bowl champion. So the AFC has got all these young quarterbacks. And then in the NFC, you've got Aaron Rodgers, you've got Drew Brees, you've got Tom Brady. And then you've got Jared Goff and his injured thumb. But it is interesting how effectively the NFC is the old guy quarterback division. And then the AFC is the young guy quarterback division. And how exactly all of that is going to break down going forward. I think probably that the Chiefs are ecstatic About the fact that they get the Browns, although the Browns can run the football and the Chiefs have been a bit enigmatic uh, a little bit so far this season. They're big favorites and uh, and I would think that the battle between Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen is going to be riveting must see television up in Buffalo. But as we look at the whole landscape of all the six games that took place over the weekend, three on Saturday and three on Sunday, I thought I watched, first of all, all six games, right? Uh, And I went to one of them in person. And so I feel like I have a pretty good sense for the totality of the NFL landscape right now, right? So how would I have assessed if I had to rank them One to six, who was the most impressive and who was the most uh, unimpressive in terms of getting wins? Now, there's no such thing as an unimpressive win in the NFL playoffs. It's so hard to get to the playoffs and it's so hard to win a playoff game that I don't think you ever sit back and say, oh, that was an awful performance. If you win, it's a lot like the NCAA tournament. You survive and advance in a one-game setting Even if you don't bring forth your best effort, you just shake it off, you go back to the drawing board, and you get an opportunity to be better. Okay. Having said that, here is how I would assess the overall performances, 1-6. to I thought the Browns were the best team in the NFL playoffs relative to what I expected to see. I should add that caveat. Relative to what I expected to see, the Browns were the best performing team in the NFL playoffs. Let me just repeat what I just said because if you're a Browns fan and you're listening to me right now, you have probably spent your entire life dreaming of hearing that said effectively. The Browns were the best team in the NFL playoffs this weekend. They really were. Uh, They went out and dominated, they scored more points in the first quarter than has ever happened in the history of the NFL. They were extraordinary when you actually looked at taking advantage of the Steeler mistakes, they put this game away. And I know there was a little bit of nervousness, late trepidation, but really, they never really, because Mike Tomlin made the decision to punt instead of go for it, which is, is infuriating, I think, if you're a Steeler fan. But when the Browns score as many points as they did, When you give up 28 in the first quarter and the Browns roll like they did, I don't think if you're a Steeler fan you can really sit back and say, hey, there was any one thing that cost us this game. You almost gave up 50 points to the Cleveland Browns at home. Now, home field advantage doesn't matter as much as it used to, but the Browns were the best team in the NFL on super wild card weekend. Okay, so I've got the Browns, number one, second best team. May surprise some people, the Rams. Look, the Rams had to go on the road with a uh, quarterback with an injured thumb and Jared Goff. They somehow, I never really understand how this works. You're not healthy enough to start the game, but as soon as the starting quarterback gets hurt, you're healthy enough to be able to come into the game it doesn't really make any sense to me how that process works. And I'm far from a doctor. I need to get Dr. Chow on this week to actually explain to me how that process ends up working. But the uh, but the Rams went on the road and I thought they pretty much controlled that game throughout against the Seahawks. And look, the reality is Sean McVay is having to win in a different way than he has before. But when you get a double-digit win on the road against a division rival that had just beaten you to win the division, I think you have to give a lot of credit to the Rams. So I've got the Browns with the best performance. I've got the Rams with the second-best performance. Maybe a little bit critical. Maybe you can argue that I should have the Saints higher because they just absolutely throttled the Bears other than a late- Jimmy Graham one-handed touchdown catch where he made it and he just went jogging right into the tunnel which was pretty funny I mean he may retire that might have been the final moment we ever see Jimmy Graham he caught it they didn't even do the the point after conversion it was on the final play of the game and he just kept jogging right into the tunnel that in and of itself was uh was pretty funny uh but the Saints dominated against the Bears their defense completely took over this game and really, you never felt like the Bears had a remote chance to win this football game. And so, although the drop touchdown pass from the Bears early, that that obviously could have changed the way that this game felt. So I've got the Saints as the third best performing team. I've got the Bucks at four because I never really felt like they were ever behind. They were never out of control of their game against Washington, even though Taylor Heineke made a lot of big plays throughout the course of his game, and I hope made himself a decent amount of money. I mean, when you consider how many different quarterbacks the Washington Football Team started, uh, I thought Taylor Heineke—you'd have to be pretty ecstatic about the performance that he put out there. And Brady is just an ageless wonder. Uh, but the Bucs didn't totally put away uh, the uh, didn't totally put away the Washington Football Team like I thought they would have. And so that's why I've got them down at the four spot. Then I've got the Ravens at five. This was the game that I went to. I went and watched the Titans play against the Ravens. And the Ravens had control of the game a lot after they came back from the 10-0 deficit. Uh, but it was 10-10 at the half. They score on the opening drive of the third quarter. And then there's a lot of back and forth and and whatnot and then the Titans have the ball. I mean, again, this is just frustrating. I'm going to get into this, I think, to finish off the, uh, the, the the show. But the Titans have the ball, and they're in a position at fourth and two. Actually, it was second and two, and then they threw the ball uh, on second and third down. But they're sitting there at fourth and two from the Raven 40, and they make the decision to uh, to punt. I don't understand it. And as a result, the Ravens uh, come back down, kick a field goal eventually, game's over. So the Ravens, they won 20-13, to 13, but I didn't think they looked electric. And then the team that won, and Bills fans are probably not going to be happy with me, but the team that won that I thought was probably the wobbliest in actually being able to get the win uh, was the Bills. And if you actually go out and look at the, uh, the Bills' performance, just okay. I do think that the NFL dodged a major bullet and it feels like forever ago because this was the early kick on Saturday, but I feel like the NFL dodged a major bullet when the Bills got to stop late on the Colts because if the Colts had come back to win that football game, I think that many people, including me and everybody out there listening, would have been like, my goodness, the NFL basically gave that game away because that felt like to me it was a fumble late. I know they might be arguing, and I'm sure this is what they said, although I never went back and read the official comments from the official, but that they couldn't 100% tell that his knee wasn't down when he was initially touched. And so, as a result, the ruling on the field that he had been down for the fumble stayed. And technically, I can understand that argument because you're only supposed to change the ruling, as we have all heard a billion times if there is incontrovertible evidence. In other words, if everybody can tell that the call was wrong. And I think that he was back up when he fumbled, but I'm not 100% that he was. So I can maybe see that argument. But the Bills, to me, even though they had control in that game a little bit, as soon as the Colts got the ball to be able to drive back and potentially win it with a touchdown or uh, tie it with a field goal – to me, that became the uh, the overall storyline where you're like, man, if you're a Bills fan, it took everything for you to be able to get your first playoff victory in 25 years. Congrats, Bills Mafia. So that is my ranking of the six teams in the order in which they performed the best. Browns 1, Rams 2, Saints 3, Bucks 4, Ravens 5, and the Bills in the sixth spot. Dub, how would you assess my rankings of all of the teams that won this weekend? And I'm already kind of looking ahead and at these matchups that we've got coming forward, you know, the Packers are hosting the Rams. I know the Packers have a great pass offense, the Rams have a great pass defense. Uh the Saints are a three-point favorite against the Bucks. Browns on the road against the Chiefs, probably like uh, depending on where you're looking, uh, the Chiefs are around an eight-point-plus favorite. Uh, and then the Ravens right around a field goal underdog against the Bills. To me, the game, uh, and we'll talk a lot about these games all week, and they all look pretty good. I love the divisional round weekend matchups. But to me, the Saints against the bucks that's going to be an intriguing story, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it a lot. But can the Bucks have made improvements such that You always hear it's hard to beat a team a third time. Will we see in that Drew Brees against Peyton Manning, uh, Peyton Manning, that Drew Brees against Tom Brady matchup that a third time, again, the Saints' defense dominates? I'm kind of intrigued to see that. But how would you assess the six that I broke down in that order based on their performance?
1: Yeah, I was pretty much impressed with every team that won, except for the Bills. I would have Bills ranked sixth in the, on that list as well because when you really look at it they probably should have lost that game because the Colts were down there first and goal uh in that game came and away elected
3: with, not to kick the field goal
1: right they went for it on fourth and goal Phillip Rivers just kind of slightly overthrew Pittman I believe it was yeah in the I think that's corner right corner of the end zone and then uh Rodrigo Blankenship knocks one off the upright from 30 yards so there's 10 points right there yep if those two plays you know or situations go like they would have probably expected, the Bills probably don't even win this game. So uh, I was was really impressed with Baltimore going on the road and beating a hot Tennessee team. That was a defensive battle, oddly enough. I can't believe that the Titans
3: offense – I mean, if you had told me – I'm glad I didn't know. If you had told me that the Ravens were only going to score 20 points, I am terrified to know how much I would have bet on the Titans to win this game.
1: Yeah, you because and me both. I,
3: if you if you had told me, hey, the Titans just need twenty one to beat the Ravens, I would have been like, with this Titans offense, there's no way they aren't hitting twenty one. So that was uh, that was disappointing to see that uh, as a Titans fan. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. I will say it was cold in Nashville, and being on the sunny side of the stadium was probably the only good thing about that performance, and getting to go with my ten year old. Uh, but I still felt like the Ravens could have lost that game. Like the Browns never really. I know there was a little bit of a wobbly moment in the third quarter where you thought, hey, it's 35-23 maybe, and the Steelers have the ball. Maybe if they score here to make it 35-30 that the Browns end up crumbling. The Rams, I felt like, had pretty good control over their game. Uh, The Saints, I mean, you can argue maybe I should have the Saints higher because the Saints really just throttled. I mean, the Bears just absolutely dominated them. The Bucks were never able to totally pull away, but it didn't ever really feel like they were in very much danger. And then, like I said, you said the, the Bills probably could have lost. The Ravens could have lost, too, if the Titans had uh, had made some a little bit better coaching decisions potentially. But as a result, uh, we are now dealing with the old guys versus the young Gunners. Which are you more intrigued by now, the AFC Final Four or the NFC Final Four?
1: I think definitely the NFC. Because you mentioned these guys are ageless wonders. And we got a matchup between two of them in New Orleans coming up where the Saints have pretty much dominated the Bucs this year already in their two games. And you mentioned a few minutes ago about, you know, is it hard to beat the same team three times in one year? And I found some uh, some interesting data here. And the answer to that question is no, because this situation has happened 21 times since 1970. And the team that has won the two regular season matchups – has won the third round battle 14 times out of the 21. So is it hard to beat a team three times in one season? Apparently not.
3: Yeah, and and I do think yeah, I wonder a little bit whether the Bucks have improved a lot as a team as the season has gone on just because Brady's gotten more and more used to being with them and whether that factors in as well because the first game, remember between these two teams was literally week one now the saints came on the road later in the season and really whipped the bucks as well we're going to be breaking down that game all week this is outkick the coverage with clay travis I went to my sixth NFL game on uh, on Sunday. I went to go watch the Ravens play against the Titans. And uh, for those of you out there who heard my old man discussion, it ended up being the best part of the game. I'm going to be honest with you because my team lost. I'm a Titans fan. Uh, first home playoff game the Titans have had in 12 years. I was there with my 10-year-old. My oldest son got his tonsils out, so he wasn't able to uh, to go to the game. Mom said no, so I, my, uh, so I took my 10-year-old, and I was there with a couple of buddies, too. And I, for those of you who remember, I said, hey, it's going to be cold. It's January. Old man move, veteran. I'm going to be on the sunny side of the stadium and cross my fingers that it's going to be a day game. And I got to tell you, first of all, have you ever tried to get a kid to put a coat on? I don't think there's ever been any kid in the history of mankind who's ever agreed with his dad or mom about putting on clothes, right? Like, it's going to be cold. You need to have layers on. Trust me on this. I, I, my, it's, it's unbelievable how difficult it is to convince my kid. He's 10. He's a fourth grader. I think I know a little bit about what the cold feels like more than he does. I'm sitting there with my phone out, like, look, it's going to be cold. And uh, and I, I swear to you, I, I got us in the sunny side of the field, and about midway through the game, he said, Dad. And I said, yeah, what? And he said, I'm sweating. And so, I mean, the kid complains, complains, complains about having to wear a coat. The sun comes out. It's actually not awful. It's probably the only good thing about the game from a Titans perspective if you were sitting in the sunshine. And then the kid's complaining because I tried to get him to wear a coat, and he says he's sweating. So, I still cannot get over First of all, congrats to the Ravens. Lamar Jackson's 48-yard scramble on 3rd and 9 late in the first half decided the game. It felt eerily similar to me to the scramble that Patrick Mahomes had in the AFC Championship game that effectively put the Chiefs into the Super Bowl. I still have not gotten over Mike Vrabel's decision to punt the football with 10 minutes to go on 4th and 2 from the Ravens' 40 down 17-13, to it is one of the worst coaching decisions in the playoffs that I can ever remember watching. It is one thing if you get stopped on fourth and two. If you don't have a great offense or if you have a stellar defense, I can see making a decision like that. But the Titans have won 11 games because of their offense all season long. Their defense was not good. And so the idea that he decided to punt there and all of the analytics and all of the data make it absolutely indefensible, there's absolutely no way to justify. In fact, I looked and a bunch of different people were sending me this. Pro Football Reference said, this is the first time in our database that is complete with every NFL football game going back to 1994, that a team in the playoffs punted on fourth and two from the 40 or better down by one score in the fourth quarter. It has never happened before, going all the way back to 1994. And I'm not one of these guys who sits around and's like an analytical genius, like sitting there with a, with a calculator crunching everything. But if you go and get the first down on fourth and two, you increase the percentage chance that your team wins the game by almost 8%. In other words, in that scenario, fourth and two from the 40, you're down 17 to 13. You have, according to the analytics and the way they chart everything, a 33% chance to win the game. If you go and succeed on fourth down, which, by the way, 61% of the time you would be successful. Okay? Your percentage chances go to 41% chance to win the game. So this was, to me, an absolutely indefensibly bad decision in general to make in a scenario like that. There's just no data that supports it in any way. And... I don't I don't know how many people are talking to the head coach in his ear in that scenario. I would love to know. And it's probably different for every coach because when you have to make a choice like that, some coaches probably want to hear from one or two guys, other coaches don't want to hear from anybody at all. So you can imagine how there's a lot of noise on the uh on the decision. But the Titans in that scenario ran Derrick Henry for 8 yards, right? It's second and two. They then throw the ball twice on second and two, third and two with Derrick Henry off the field and then make the decision to punt. And then the punt only goes and gets downed at the 15-yard line and then a couple plays later, the Ravens are right where the Titans already were. And it leads me with this thought in general as you kind of contemplate things. If the opposing team is ecstatic with the choice that you are making, you should never make that choice, right? How ecstatic do you think the Ravens were on fourth and two when the Titans lined up to punt? And you know that feeling if you are a fan where when your team has something happen in their favor or like somebody trots out the punter and you're like, man, I'm glad they're punting. Or your team isn't putting like you should, and there ought to be like a way to analyze that. The fear factor that it engages, fans as a group are fairly intelligent. And I guarantee you, Ravens fans who were watching that game, they're winning 17 13. Titans have a fourth and two at the 40. As soon as they sent out their punt team, I guarantee you the Ravens were like, oh, I'm so glad of this. Because if you get a first down there, then you're in a big-time scoring position. If you do, You're already in scoring position, kind of, when you're at the 40. If you don't get a first down there, you're not exactly giving away the, oppo- the opponent a position where they're easily able to go down and score a touchdown the other way. But what's particularly frustrating about that decision is the Titans' defense has been awful all season. So, I mean, I think that's such a bad decision that when you sit back and think about it, it's as bad of a decision as I've seen anybody make in the playoffs all year. And by the way, adding up to that, it is an unmitigated disaster. The Titans went to the AFC Championship game last year. They decided to add uh, in the draft, they got zero draft, right? Isaiah Wilson, their first-round draft pick, doesn't play. He actually is on reserve because he's so immature that they can't even use him. Second-round pick is mediocre, hurt most of the year, defensive back. Third-round pick, hurt most of the year, doesn't do anything. And then they also spent over $20 million on Jadavion Clowney and Vic Beasley and didn't get a single sack. I worry that we're going to be in a position where everything is going to be uh, for the Titans, they missed their window. This was their window. They had a great offense. If they had had any kind of defense at all, uh, they would have had a chance. And instead, they just completely fell apart. Anyway, congrats to the Ravens. We'll talk more about this top of the second uh, hour as we break down all of the NFL games. This is OutKick. Be sure to catch live editions of OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Oh, oh,
1: oh, O'Reilly.
3: Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select campus events while supplies last, make every tap
3: music to your ears.